Hello and welcome to Fatten, a podcast where we get into the thick of it. My name is Layla Cameron and I'm an academic, journalist, and artist. Most of my work revolves around body politics and fat liberation. This season, we're exploring what it's like to be fat in Vancouver, a place often referred to as Canada's thinnest city. Many fat folks experience a delayed adolescence because the size of our bodies often restricts our ability to have quintessential or stereotypical experiences, such as sharing clothing with our friends. When I first moved to Vancouver, I remember seeing an event page for a fat clothing swap circulating on Facebook. I was intrigued by the idea as it was typically pretty hard to find plus-size clothing in second-hand stores. Often, plus-size clothes are either hoarded by the original owners for fear of being unable to find anything like it again, which is fair in a city like Vancouver where there's very limited options to buy clothes, or plus-size clothes are often bought by people who aren't plus-size but who want either an oversized fit or to tailor the item to fit their smaller bodies. I spoke with the organizer of these clothing swaps, Tilly King, to learn about not just what those events were like, but all of the political, social, and emotional considerations when it comes to sharing clothing. My name is Tilly King. I am fat, uh, white, you know, a colonial settler, uh, genderqueer, queer as well. Um, I live with chronic disabilities. I work in the not-for-profit sector. And maybe some other identities will come up. We'll, We'll deal with them when they do. For people who aren't familiar with what a clothing swap is, can you sort of briefly summarize what that looks like, what that entails, um, and what you could expect if you were attending a clothing swap? So a clothing swap is an opportunity for people to bring garments that no longer work for them and potentially leave with garments that do without without a commercial transaction. So some clothing swaps, there is an attendee, an attendance fee that usually covers the cost of the venue. Um, and some clothing swaps are highly structured. Some of them, everyone has a designated space where they put out their items, and then there is a process for examining other people's items and then making an equivalent trade. Mine were a little bit more freeform where we encouraged everyone to deposit their items on a table according to size, and then you go through according to size. I've also heard of swaps that are focused on, for example, young families where it might not just be garments, it might also be, you know, toys and newborn accoutrement and all these items that, you know, babies need for about 24 months and then all of a sudden we'll never need again. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've heard of swaps including, you know, books and albums and and other objects too. Um, Yeah, that that is a clothing swap. I think what to expect I would say, bring anything you know you won't miss, right? Bring anything, like just, just, you know, if you, if you need to do a Mary Kondo goodbye to it, (laughs) excellent. Um, Put it in a bag, bring some reusable objects, like reusable bags. Um, Be open-minded to what you'll find. Can I ask you a little bit about how you identify with the word fat? Are there more layers to that or what's your relationship with that word? So my experience with being fat or being labeled fat begins in childhood. So I'm, I'm one of those people. And of course it was weaponized against me. My body was policed. My food was policed by doctors. And... So, so I kind of have a bit of a complicated relationship with it, but then in um, 
when I was 20, so this is in 1999, I read the book Fat So. And I was like, oh, and so I, I had already been kind of cobbling together some positive self-esteem about my body to survive, to literally, like, it was literally a, if I feel this way about my body forever, that will be a very short life for me. So I need to figure out how to love myself. And then I was like, oh, there are other people out there who are also doing this, who can, you know, show me support and, um, and, and things about that. I think I also probably encouraged some, encountered some body positivity through the riot girl movement in my teens. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then I saw some amazing performers from Portland. They came up to Vancouver. They were doing some like queer burlesque shows. I don't think we even called it burlesque. I think it was just like queer shows where people got naked and did sexy things in, you know, in the basement of various bars around the city and stuff like that. So I got to encounter more and more fat positive things. So I really embraced that as a descriptor for my body. And as my body has gone through ages and stages and um, like the smallest I have ever been as an adult is kind of an in-betweeny. And I, so I, I, my body settles into the space of, you know, small to mid fat and this is just where I live. And what I have found, which is interesting, is that every change my body goes through, right? Like whether it's ability or body size, and it can be like, I get a bit smaller for various reasons, or I get a bit bigger, or like my fat starts settling differently. Like, I feel like I have to go through the whole process of being like, this is what my body looks like. This is how my body is. Um, and recreating compassion and appreciation for my own body. Um, so that's very complicated. Um, and as somebody who loves clothing, like I've really recently realized how, how much of a passion that is for me. Someone who loves clothing, it can be very difficult to access clothing. And especially like as a, as a genderqueer person, where I have found I need to have basically two or three wardrobes simultaneously so I can figure out what gender I am when I wake up that day and dress appropriately. Um, you know, it's so access to clothing has been an important theme in my life. And about probably about 15 years ago, you know, I didn't have a lot of financial resources and I heard about clothing swaps. But all the clothing swaps I saw through social media, I'm like, oh, my skinnier friends are throwing this and it looks like a bunch of skinny people are showing there. So I'm not even going to bother showing up because I know there won't be like I won't be able to really participate in this experience. And then I was just like, why don't I throw my own clothing swaps? I love hearing the origin story of folks who have an established relationship with the word fat because I think it can be easy to forget that we all have that. We all have this origin story where at some point in our lives we were introduced to fat community and fat activism or just all of these different sort of embodied, you know, performances, usually through performance. Um, and just how radical that shift is you know that we can identify this this shift in our minds and in our relationship with our bodies and it I think it serves to humanize folks like you to me because I remember when I first moved to Vancouver I saw your posts about clothing swaps online and I can't remember where because I don't know that the top secret fat club Facebook group existed <laughs> at the time or not um but I'm wondering, can you tell me a bit more about like how that came about and what the early days of those clothing swaps look like? Because I remember being so, not mystified, but overwhelmed and impressed at the amount of thought and care that went into organ organizing these events. Um, because like you say, clothing swaps are very much reliant on 
the bodies of those participating and the sizes of those participating. So what was it like creating your first few clothing swaps? And what are some of the things that you had to consider in creating this new alternative space? So as I, as I said, my first few were organized about wanting a clothing swap where my body and body of people I knew um, socially, like my, my other friends, that we could show up and we could fully participate. And it because I existed in a place of few financial resources, it was also very important to me that people could just show up, you know, that you wouldn't have to um, pay, pay an entry fee, that we wouldn't be putting down a bunch of money for a venue or anything. So I think the first few were actually held in a spare room at my mother's house. You know, and my mother is very supportive of all the different creative ways I've chosen to express myself, which is really great. And, you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't wheelchair accessible. And there were cats in the house, so there was allergy considerations. But it's still like we filled an entire room full of people and full of clothing. And I believe the clothing swaps tend to reflect the organizer. And so there was cheerful chaos, which is kind of my brand. <laughs> uh, and so so that started happening. And, um, and I realized that I could continue doing this. And as at the same time, I was learning a lot about disability justice and accessibility. Um, and I, my chronic illnesses had already shown up, but I had not, like, they had not fully manifested in the way they do now. And I was also able to, like, push through a lot of things through my internalized ableism at the time, which I, I am really working on that relationship with myself. So I was like, hey, it would be really great if this clothing swaps could be accessible to people with mobility differences. So I fortunately knew people who lived in co-ops and co-ops, almost all of them that I know of, have a common or amenity room. So a member of the co-op can book the room for a certain amount of time for a function that cannot be contained within their suite. So, you know, birthday parties, general meetings, other little events and people were kind enough to extend the amenity room to me for clothing swaps, which also had the benefit of the co-op member basically having a clothing swap that was like just downstairs and they could like wander down with their cup of coffee <laughs> and their dressing gown and try on a few things. Um, so that was kind of the beginning. And after that, I was trying to integrate and use the knowledge of accessibility and expand that throughout the clothing swap. So, so what you probably saw a few years ago was, you know, seven or eight years of work and transformation and learning going into this. Um, so I started, yeah, I started out with figuring out who you, who I want to welcome and the kind of language that will invite them in, and that language continued to evolve and. You know, I'm I'm sincerely hoping that, you know, the language I'm using in five years will be more welcoming and inviting, and that can be, you know, retrofitted into whatever document or, um, or clothing swaps that other people are running, um, as culture continues to evolve to a a more just thing. So I started with financial barriers, then I added mobility barriers. Then I realized that we really needed to decrease scent and allergy loads. So I started asking the people attending to do the labor of washing their garments before they brought them. Now I noticed that this is not easy for everyone or it's not possible or it's not financially accessible for everyone. So then other attendees started volunteering to let people do laundry at their houses or they could drop it off with me and I would do laundry because that's that's work that I actually enjoy. Um, and it, this was around the time that I really started focusing on plus size people because it used to be plus, plus size clothes would be highlighted and straight size clothes or smaller clothes would just go in the corner. And after a while I was like, why am I even inviting 
people who can access other clothing slots. Like, why am I even allowing space for this? I'm, I'm just not going to bother anymore. This is not why people are showing up. And then there was a period of realizing that the swap was not as accessible for larger fats. So I kind of define this as people who have trouble accessing clothes in plus size retailers. And also anyone who's self-defined is that because I, I don't feel like it's my business to, poli to police that identity in any way. So what we ended up creating was a larger fat only time. So I asked a friend to host this time because I didn't want to take up any space. I also didn't want to accidentally microaggress in that space. Um, so it was only f larger fats. And also during general swap hours, I asked people not to take clothing significantly larger than they needed with the intent to alter it down. Um, after that, I realized that I could create a BIPOC-only space. A friend of mine was interested in doing that with me, so she started hosting. Um, from what I, it, we only had probably a couple years of swaps with that, but it sounded like it was a really fun time for people and really welcoming and really good. So I just, you know, added that on and kept it. Um, other values that became more and more incorporated as time went on was being gender inclusive. I think at least for one swap, maybe two swaps, it was a fats and femmes swap. So really focused on queer femme identity um, and I don't, I don't know why it shifted back at, at that point, but I think it was generally the feeling that we don't want to only center, you know, AFAB people or people with a strong public femme identity because who knows what identities people hold in their back pockets. Um, and also, it has always been very difficult for me as a gender fluid person to organize clothes by gender. I'm like, I don't, I don't know who's going to wear this shirt. I don't know how this shirt is going to be interpreted by people encountering it. I, it, it just, it's beyond me to even answer those questions in a really succinct way so it's like okay we'll just organize everything by size because size is a little bit more objective kind I mean people wear larger things people wear smaller things everyone's got a different relationship to how they put clothes on their body but it's a little it's a little bit more easy to define than the entire galaxy of gender um and then I realized Again, because this started from a place of financial accessibility, that the swaps were actually quite anti-capitalist. Because what we were doing, we were taking resources out of a capitalist stream and just redistributing them based on desire or need or who was in the room. And also... My practice, like there was always leftover clothes. There was always so many leftover clothes, an overwhelming amount of leftover clothes. So I always had to ask people to help me redistribute the extras. And at first it was like, take it to any um, thrift store, they'll take it. And then it became, take it to certain thrift stores that are more aligned with anti-oppressive values. And then it became, why don't we just take these directly to nonprofit organizations that are going to redistribute the clothing directly? And um, and as someone like I, as I said, I work in the nonprofit um, industry, and at the time I was working in the downtown east side, so it was very easy for me to know, you know, these are the three organizations who are doing that right now. Let's get in contact with them. Let's let them know that we're going to be dropping off a significant amount of donations because just it's really actually quite inconvenient for any organization if you just dump a whole bunch of things on them, even if it's things they want and need. Like warning is great so they can have adequate staff to 
receive and store and redistribute the objects. Um, so those were all, this was all like, it, it's kind of like a pearl of access that I was building around this tiny little seed of like, more clothes would be good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really interesting to see the progression of, well, not necessarily progression, the the thought process that goes into events like this and how the boundaries or guidelines continue to expand. I'm curious if capitalism ever bled into the clothing swap space in the sense of the monetary value of goods that people brought. Like, were there ever any sort of sticky feelings that arose in terms of I don't know, like tensions or animosity between attendees and did everyone further, I guess, furthermore, how did people respond to all of these sort of guidelines when they entered the space? So I know that for some people, the model of kind of an open offer, like you're going to show up, you're going to openly offer your clothing and it is purely up to chance about what you'll take home. For some people, this is challenging, right? And these are people who have often encountered scarcity and difficulty and maybe not felt valued or reciprocated in various ways, which are completely valid experiences to have. I think we've all had experiences where we don't, we don't feel appreciated or valued or supported or given back to. Um, so I know that the entire style of the co clothing swap was not appealing for some individuals. And that is fine because I, I believe that there can be a large amount of clothing swaps in a large amount of styles. So that can be difficult. I know, for example, the, the larger fats only time actually originated because I overheard someone expressing disappointment that they had brought a significant amount of clothing and there was nothing like no one else in their size range or like only two other people in their size range showed up. And so, and so I was like, well, there's only so much I can do about that, which, and, and the things I could do was try to make sure that my invitation spread more wild, widely and included more people. And at some point, I think, by the time I did the last clothing swap, I was inviting like 120 individuals. Yeah. And I started, you know, sharing it through Facebook groups and on social media wider than just my friends and acquaintances. And I would, of course, tell people, bring your friends, bring your family members, bring whoever you think might appreciate this. So, so those were things I tried to do. And that, those were experiences that people had that that there was again there's only so much I can mitigate right like if someone shows up and they're like hey something big happened in my life and I have this big bag of almost new clothes and they're in really great shape and I've spent a lot of time and money collecting this and then they're like well I'm I'm leaving with two new t-shirts and or nothing you know um there was also I I had experiences where there were people who, and again, probably coming from a place of scarcity and challenge, were quite acquisitive. Like just, just you know, grabbing things left, right, and center and um, uh, not really allowing people to have chances at, th at other things, like not having it, have things have the opportunity to be, be passed around and looked at by multiple people and this is when I really noticed someone taking items that that were significantly larger and being like I'm just going to take this home and change it and the bigger you get the harder it is to get clothes so it's 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 a microaggression to take something larger with the intent of I am going to take this in um so those were things I noticed. Um, there's also the question of, there, there were class tensions, and these were things that I never felt I had a really good solution for, to be perfectly honest. There, people would show up 
who didn't have a lot to quote unquote offer. And I would try to reassure people, it's fine. There's always tons of leftover clothes. There are so many clothes. I don't know what to do with all of these clothes. Please show up with an empty bag and you'll be fine. And sometimes those people didn't feel like they could return or, you know, um, obviously we're struggling with a lot of emotions around this experience. I also noticed that were, there were some people who were, I would label them as middle class, I don't know what their experience is, who, again, would come and would take a lot of items and, you know, like, I experienced a little judgment of them. Um, so that's one thing that I'm, it, you know, I, I would love to see those tensions resolved. Yeah, I think as communities, we don't have answers yet in terms of how to, I don't want to use the word police, how to draw certain boundaries or expectations that are mindful of all of these intersecting positionalities that influence how we walk into a space. You know, like how do we decide who gets to identify as a larger fat? For example, you know, there's there's attempts to create those categories and to define them, but they're very fluid. And so it just becomes very difficult as a community organizer, I know from experience, um, to satisfy everybody's needs or to meet everybody's needs and in a way that ensures that the environment is comfortable. And I think that your discussions about scarcity are really interesting, and I think they're very central to a lot of fat people's experiences because, you know, growing up, your friends might all be sharing clothing, and then if you're the only fat friend, you don't get to have that sort of quintessential experience. And I think the result of that, paired with how difficult it is to find any clothing, let alone clothing that makes you feel good, and represents how you want to identify and present yourself to the world means that for a lot of us, we hoard our clothing. If I think about what's in my closet right now, I would say 70% of it are items that I don't wear anymore and don't represent how I feel or that I don't want to wear them, but I feel very anxious about the idea of letting them go because A, they're expensive <laughs> and they're hard to find, um, but B, well, I guess it's that difficulty to find them, right? Like we, we search high and low for these items. So when we have them, we don't want to let them go. And I think that's what is so beautiful about the idea of a fat clothing swap is not only are we getting to have that experience of trying on our friend's clothing or, you know, there's people in the room, we get to try everything on. That's already a unique and um, special thing, but then we're also invited to let go of things that we might be holding on to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have a, a similar experience with you around scarcity of clothing. And one of the things that the swaps did for me, I mean, besides obviously augmenting my wardrobe significantly for 10 years, or it was more like 12. I don't, I don't even know how long I was doing this. Um, was before every swap, I would get the opportunity to go through my closet, figure out what wasn't resonating, figure out what maybe no longer fit, figure out, you know, what I hadn't touched in a significant amount of time, and think of my friends visibly, like I could actually see this interaction with a friend discovering my clothes, liking it, taking it home and maybe, you know, like I see pictures or I see them later and they're wearing it and they look fabulous and it, like it feels so good to let it go because I'm, you know, I'm a person who, who struggles with that in a lot of ways. So, so having that experience kind of healed some wounds around scarcity for me and it's, it's still something that, um, you know, like I've, I've, it's been two years of a pandemic. I have not thrown a clothing swap. I've develop significant multiple chemical sensitivities. And so now I, you know, like I, I, I still go through my wardrobe and I have to remind myself that, yeah, this dress doesn't work for me or this shirt doesn't work or it doesn't quite button up or all the things that clothing happens with clothing. And I get to remind myself someone will find this and they will value it and they will enjoy it. 
I th- yeah, and I think those spaces and experiences are very sacred. I also really admire the anti-capitalist approach of clothing swaps because I think when we talk about fatness and fashion, um, often there's a lot of criticism that you know fat folks are engaging with or consuming fast fashion, and that they and a lot of you know response to that is, well, fat people don't really have a choice because there isn't really, you know, ethical, quote unquote, ethical clothing companies that offer plus sizes. And so to be able to have a response to that dilemma, being fat clothing swaps, I think is very, very significant because it does offer this, you know, an opportunity for us to not only build community and come together and have these really lovely experiences, but also find a way to align our engagement with fashion with our politics because I think at least for myself that's been a huge tension for me is you know I don't want to contribute to the destruction of our planet and all of these other things while at the same time I still want to a have clothing to wear when I leave my home and b I want to be able to present myself in the way that I would like to um and c I don't think that we can ignore the relationship between clothing and self-esteem and um, I mean, I guess even respectability politics, right? And how we even just feel when we feel good in the clothes that we're wearing. That is still, I think, such a new experience for fat people that I don't want to remove that from the conversation either. That when we find clothes that fit, when we find clothing that reflects how we want to present ourselves, it can it still feels very revolutionary. The novelty at least for me, hasn't worn off yet. Yeah, it hasn't for me either. I've been thinking a lot about this because, you know, preparing for this podcast and preparing to release basically a, a document about this is how I organized clothing swaps for 10 years and I'm releasing it to the public so that hopefully other people can do this work. Um, thinking about being in a room with a bunch of other fat people engaging with clothing and we are all enjoying the experience we are enjoying interacting with each other and one thing I really that was really important for me was to create a welcoming non-competitive body neutral environment so you know checking in and being like hey can I Can I give you some feedback on that outfit? It looks amazing. I really hope you're taking that home with you, you know, and, and other forms of positive feedback, um, and, and encouraging some of my friends. I, I am lucky to have a lot of volunteer oriented friends, um, and so fortunate so people would show up at the swap and be how can I help out and I'd be like can you welcome people to the swap you know welcome new people when they show up because I was drawing from various networks so not everyone knew each other when they showed up and also you know hey feel free to take someone's bag from them because they don't need to spend time going through this bag of stuff they've already they decide they don't need they can spend their time at the table that's great and Finally, spreading the attitude of if someone puts something on and it's not working for them, the problem is the article of clothing, not the individual. The individual is always fine as they are. They're okay as they are. It doesn't matter if they are moving house. It doesn't matter if they just went through a bad breakup. It doesn't matter if their body has changed within the past six months. None of that is important. What it it matters is... Are these cl- will this clothing enhance their life? Even if it's just like, oh, this is so warm and comfy. I want to wear this every day. That's perfect. That's great. If it makes you look like you are about to step out the door on a really fancy date, that is great. If it is a super functional garment that you can wear to your job every day, that is great. Um, but, you know... Oh, that would look better on someone whose body was different? No, that's not cool. Like, let's not talk like that. You know, you're too big for that? Never, never okay. The garment is inadequate. Would there be a list of guidelines or suggestions for how to move through the space when people entered the clothing swaps? Um, well, I 
I had this like long event description that would always be published. And I would ask people to read it every time because as I said, things were constantly evolving. To be perfectly honest, the way that that was usually mitigated um, was by me becoming very loud and shiny, right? <laughs> like I would be very loud, very outgoing. And people who had been to the swap, which and something that reinforced the utility of the swaps for me is that people would show up at every swap. Sometimes even if they weren't there to swap clothing, they just show up to hang out. And so me and like a lot of core attendees kind of co-developed this ethos and we would just model this behavior. And I could see that people wouldn't necessarily need the entire explanation of what we were doing, but they would respond positively. And that was, that was really satisfying. If you had to describe the energy in that space in just a few words, how would you try to encapsulate those moments? Um, friendly, cheerful, positive, and accepting of imperfections. Like my swaps were never perfect. There was always an element of slight chaos or there was something that I was like, oh, I hope this goes better in the future. Like the time I had to herd all the white people out so the BIPOC hour could start. <laughs> That's fair. You no, know, it happened. <laughs> it happened. But we want to make sure that like people experience a space we set up for them. And, um, and you know, sometimes accepting that clothes weren't perfect. Like we'd often have suggestions about like, oh, if you are able to alter something, we could we could simply, you know, shorten the straps here, put in a dart there, hem that thing. Um, so it wasn't important to be perfect. It was more important to be, to be present and supportive of each other. And I admire that you persisted to keep holding these events, knowing that the next one was going to grow from the one that you were currently planning. I think that openness is so vital to building community um, on behalf of not only the organizer, but also attendees, right? Knowing that we always want to be better while also appreciating what we're being offered, you know, in the moment as well. Something that became a practice in my clothing swaps would be there would be a few kind of um, really outlandish garments that would make their way through the clothing swap several times. Like someone would be like, well, it's free and I'm not sure how I'm going to work. I'm going to take this home. And then they'd be like, I never wore it. So it would go back to the swap and then someone else would be interested in it and it would go, and then it would come back to the swap. And then usually around the third or fourth time, someone, it would find its forever home. It would find its person. And uh, that was always magical to watch. Uh, and yeah, and I think try to embrace a bit of generosity with this practice, right? Like generosity with other people, generosity with your items. Like it's okay to pare down maybe a bit more than you feel safe paring down because you will get something in turn. And, you know, compassion and generosity with other people, right? Like kind of notice how people are interacting with the swapping with other people and maybe give yourself a little space to be like, oh, this person is probably really scared that they're going to go home empty handed. Oh, maybe this person's background hasn't given them a lot of opportunities to experience a space like this, you know? Oh, maybe this person has just become fat, which is a whole social process yeah I feel like that would be such a beautiful gift if you have recently either come into a fat body or a fat identity to walk into a space like that I feel like you are rightfully so bypassing so many harmful experiences especially in regards to clothing and then just being embraced into this you know fat community where people want to tell you 
that looks amazing on you. Like what a, what a gift. You're right. That is magic. It's literally fat magic. I just think that's really beautiful. Yeah. And the best thing about this kind of fat magic is every, every fat person can own this for another person. Like I love smiling at fat people on the street. You know, I love telling someone that they look great in, especially if it is something bright or flamboyant or something that, you know, fat people are policed around doing. Um, those things make me really happy. One of my favorite things to do, and I'm a very shy person, so I wouldn't have done this before, I don't think, is if I see a fat person in public, particularly at something like a concert or a music festival or what have you, and their outfit is just incredible, I always make an effort to go and ask them, where did you get that? Or just say, I love those jeans or what have you. Because I think I just admire, well, I admire fat folks who have a great sense of style and who um, really embrace the things that they want to wear, the colors they love, especially if it violates social norms about how fat people should dress. And I think that's why I love especially doing it at music festivals or concerts, because that's when people are sort of wearing more of a, not a costume, but more of an outlandish outfit than you would, you know, going to school or work or what have you. Um, yeah, yeah. And I love, I love that story of the traveling pieces as well, especially the more outrageous ones. I just think that's also it represents the magic of the space too, moving through community and how the magic can bleed out even when the swap is over, you know, until the next one, it almost like carries the magic full circle. So I, I love that. I love that image. Can you describe what one of those pieces would have looked like? Oh, uh, I, I feel like there was a couple of fuzzy sweaters and not like fuzzy cozy I'm gonna sit with my cup of tea sweaters but you know the the kind of outrageously almost fringed yarn that is would be bright and multicolored. um there were definitely like a few kind of party dresses that rotated through the swap a bit which was good and you know it was always fun seeing someone wearing one of those garments right um in fact, getting dressed today, I am wearing a black denim mini skirt that was cobbled together from a pair of old jeans. And it actually, um, yeah, it's a skirt I will often wear to events. And I have embroidered the back pocket. And um, it's one of the ones that makes me connected to my power, my sexuality, my body, um, community service in an, in an odd tangential way. And so it feels really good that I'm like, oh, I am literally wearing the swap today. Oh, I love that. I'm glad you chose that outfit. <laughs> you've mentioned a few times this document that you've been working on and you want to share so that folks can build on all of the knowledge that you've developed in terms of how to host a clothing swap. Can you tell me a bit more about what that document is going to look like and where folks could find it? So the document will be currently, the vision is to create a Google Doc that anyone can view with the link. And I'll be sharing that with you and I will be distributing, distributing it with social media. And what, at first it was a like how-to document, but it has somewhat evolved into these are the choices that I made and here is why they were made. So a bit of a peeling back as I described some of these layers around, oh, this is why there's no entry fee. This is why, um, this is why it's important that it's wheelchair accessible. This is important why you might consider creating a BIPOC only space or a larger fat only space. And this, you know, this is why, you know, you, you probably want to consider having it a gender inclusive swap. And here's a really easy way to do it. Also, one of my friends pointed out that not sorting items by gender actually reduces some of your workload. I love things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to give it out to people because at first my thought was, oh, I can no longer host the swap. Other people can create this kind of swap as well. 
And then I realized that I want to live in a world where people have more choices. So this is simply kind of outlining some choices to potentially make around a swap so that you can really create your own swap that serves your own community or your own circumstances or your own values. I love that. I'm excited for it to come out. Thank you. I think it's really important to take some time to zero in on your values. Why are you doing this? What is important to create in the world? And when you know those things, when you know that, you know, hey, I want it to be really accessible and I want it to be friendly and expansive, then it actually makes it really easy to make a lot of decisions going forward. Because then when you're created, when you are presented with a choice, you're like, okay, what are my values? And chances are your values will lead you to the correct course of action. And so whatever form of community organizing you do, like a clothing swap is like a big piece of work. It's very, it's got a lot of energy output. It's for people who want to be really outgoing in the world. There are so many ways of making the world a better place. And if you remain rooted in your values, your choices and your work will become easier. What would you suggest to non-fat folks in terms of how they can contribute to this community work? How can they make the issue of access to clothing or um, these, even just these experiences for fat people, what can they do to contribute to this work? stop taking our clothes and making them smaller. Um, <laughs> that's the first thing. Like really, if only you do that and talk to your friends about why by doing that, you're taking clothing away from people who have a hard time finding clothing. Like that's number one. You could, you could just do that and that would be great. Another thing is if you're like clothing swaps, I want to do a clothing swap. How do I do a way to make your clothing swap, fat inclusive, is invite fat people. Make it clear that this is a fat inclusive swap. At that point, you might want to post some guidelines about here's how to interact with people in a body neutral way and how to give people body neutral compliments and how to treat clothing, clothing, clothing doesn't have feelings, people have feelings. We want to preserve one of those. Um, maybe even consider talking to your fat friends and say, can I, you know, do the groundwork of finding a venue, you know, setting up the space, posting a bunch of posters, taking away items at the end so you can have a clothing swap, doing service to other communities is always possible. And this might mean that you do an hour of setup work, you go out for like two or three hours and take yourself away from that space so that you don't accidentally, you know, bring some internalized fat phobia into the space with you. One story that I feel really demonstrates thin privilege was at clothing swaps where I was still allowing people to bring straight size stuff. So. Our process was like there would be tables for all sorts of sizes and then there would be like a pile in the back corner for everything smaller than an extra large. And this person brought their thin partner with them. And at the end of the swap, they were helping, you know, clean up and put things away. And, and the thin partner was like, man, this kind of sucked for me because... There was just like this little thing in the corner and I couldn't find anything that suited me. And there was just this moment of silence. And then I said, I was like, do you realize that's what shopping is like for us all the time? And I could see her partner kind of like nodding. And I was like, okay, great. We have, we have taught one person one thing today. 
the politics of mixed weight couples too, I think is that's an interesting, like what a great experience for them to be able to go into that space together and have that learning opportunity where they're confronted with, you know, the reality for the, everyone else in the room. Right. And, and really not just being told this as a story, but like experiencing it viscerally, but there's, you know, talk to your fat friends and say, Hey, I'm organizing a clothing swap. What would it take for you to feel comfortable showing up to my clothing swap? And separating your ego from their answers, right? Like what they say and say about the clothing swap has nothing to do with you as a person. It has to do with years of experience being micro or, ma or macro aggressed constantly. And so some of their feedback might be difficult to handle, but, um, you know, it'll be useful information. Thank you for that. I like, appreciate your thoughtful response. If people wanted to connect with you, is there a way to connect with you? I am really not sure what my next phase of community organizing will look like. I have a very unique name. I'm easy to find on social media. So I think just connect with me on social media. And I might just direct you to, I might just be like, it's all in the document. Please have a good time. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is produced and directed by me, Layla Cameron. Both audio and video versions of this podcast were edited by Ari Conrad Birch. Each interview was filmed and audio recorded by Rami McHale. Additional video was filmed and edited by Felix Naud and directed by ETW Media Productions. The music for this season is by the band Parlor Panther. Funding for this podcast is supported by TELUS StoryHive.